The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to move from your good life to one that is amazing? Then you've tuned in to the right program. For the next hour, listen in as Reverend Temple Hayes, Senior Minister of First Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, shares with you the tools you can use to transform your life. She will guide you on a journey to create a life that is amazing. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for um, supporting this show. We are in over 100 countries, and I just really appreciate you finding benefit to our weekly guest as we are committed to talking to people of how to move from good to amazing. So many people in life today, they they don't seem to realize that we settle sometimes for far less than that which is available to us. We're here really to live an amazing life. And one of the aspects in how we're able to have an amazing life is how we cope with loss and how we walk through the journey of grief. So I have been looking for this kind of book for a long time, and I am so excited that we have as our guest today, Timothy O'Brien, who has a bestseller, A Season for Healing, A Reason for Hope, The Grief and Mourning Guide and Journal. Tim, welcome to our show today. I'm so delighted that you've agreed to be here with us. Thank you very much, Reverend Hayes. I'm, I'm excited about being on here with you. Well, one of the things I, I say so often to people is um, one day, either I or it will be you, you know, let's write a book on what not to say uh, when people try to have a conversation with someone who's either lost a loved one as a, an individual or as a pet. So I was just really grateful. Tell us a little bit from our own interest, how did this book come about? In 19, I started actually um, back in 1975 and 1976 with the very beginnings of it when I was part of something called the prison ashram experiment and mm-hmm. went once, uh, once per week for two years to the Federal Correctional Institute in Tallahassee, Florida on Friday nights for a hatha yoga meditation and new thought group with the inmates were there. And from that, I had formalized the process, or I had come up with a process to help the inmates go to sleep, because in those early days back there, I was starting to get in to be a stress management and performance improvement person, and I found a way to help uh, inmates go to sleep, and then over time, I had a couple of business people I was with telling me they're having trouble going to sleep, going to sleep, so I formalized something with a neurologist in Tallahassee, Florida called the sleep technique, and then uh, two years later, in 1991, I became involved with the funeral directors uh, from the, funeral Florida, the Florida Funeral Directors Association, helping them develop an aftercare program for their families, and I developed a grief management course for funeral directors that's still popular and offered today by the National Funeral Directors Association. And in, in that, and in all the programs that I have now and the one that you spoke about earlier, the sleep technique is still in there. And so I evolved from beginning just helping in the prison to then helping people with getting natural restful sleep, which is nature's greatest restorative power. And then I moved towards the grief because grief is the most severe stress response that we as humans can have. And so 
Um, I developed the program for the funeral directors, and I had a little booklet in that. And then in 2009, I was approached by a funeral service profession consultant who asked me to expand the booklet that I had for families that I had done in 1991 into a full-fledged grief support program for the families that they served, and, and we did that. And that's the a season for healing and a reason for hope. That's the grief exactly. and, and, and then mourning from that, time. That after we had done that one, many people saw the grief program for dealing with human loss, and they said, and it surprised me actually how many people said this, and independent of each other, they said, you need to do one of these for when someone loses a pet, and we did that too. So those are the primary two grief support programs that we have right now, the season for healing and the you will always be a part of me. I want to um, share with all of our listeners that you can go on grief guideandjournal.com that's griefguideandjournal.com and you can find out about all of the resources that that are available well it is so interesting uh, with working with grief and you were also talking about sleep because they're they're two of the most natural things that we're destined or designed to do as hu- human beings and it's it's very interesting when we look at when people want to avoid either one of those things. You know, there are people that hold the the concept that you know when I sleep I'm I'm missing out. You know, or how can you know a third of my life be about sleeping? But when uh, people aren't taking care of themselves, we we know by far they're not having a amazing, thriving life. Um, I've known people that are being treated or diagnosed of, you know, ADHD and things like that, where a lot of their attention uh, disorder is coming from the lack of rest, you know, and I'm not implying that's it in all cases or anything like that, but I have known that um, when we don't get rest, our, our body our body doesn't heal the way it's supposed to. We don't have the energy that we're designed to have. And the same way is, is with grief. Um, you're the expert in the field. You tell us, you know, what you think about that, especially with the grief aspect. It seems that it ages people when they avoid the process called grief. Would you? The, the different thing that we do in the programs that we have, because I came into to grief from the stress management field, and it helps when you look at the fact that grief is actually a severe stress response to a catastrophic loss. And dealing with the finality of death is the most severe stressor that we as humans can face. And so when you look at it as a stress response, and I agree wholeheartedly with with your explanation about about, um, sleep and how sleep deprivation and not getting adequate restful natural sleep, and that's the key words for it, adequate restful and natural sleep, because some people will take medications or do things that are you drink alcohol or something like that, and that can induce sleep, but it cannot induce rest. You have to have certain brainwave patterns that you experience. And then when someone is going through a grief through the catastrophic loss experience, their mind is racing. They don't know. Sometimes they they have fears for what they're going to be doing next or how can they get along without the person or they have anger or they have all the whole array of the grief emotions that people have. And so the, the sleep, I came naturally around to looking at the grief from a standpoint of stress because that's what my, my bent was, and then it made sense in speaking with physicians and speaking with psychologists on what they found when people were going through grief situations. And one of the, one of the leading problems was disruptive sleep. And even though something, I have something, like I told you, the sleep technique, that will help people fall asleep naturally within 20 minutes almost always. And the funniest thing about the sleep technique is, honestly, the most common question about it is, how does it end? And then <laughs> it sounds funny, but most people, it will help people fall asleep. And when you're dealing with grief, you have three ways of dealing with grief. You can get relief. It's sometimes only temporary to start with, but any level of relief from the high emotions and the, and the anxiety and the fears that we have, 
any relief is a respite for our body and our minds. And then eventually you work to get release from the triggers and the episodes, which we'll talk about here as, as we move forward, and then eventually move towards recovery and try to start figuring out how is it going to be that we uh, lead our life. And so in a way, hopefully people will recover to the point where they can again begin to think about taking their life from being good to awesome, like you teach people. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. trying to realizing you've had this loss, accepting that the loss is there, uh, death is an inevitability uh, of our human existence, and that they're built into us is a certain resilience and a certain ability to recover. And so we do, after a period of time, for, for most of us, about four or six months, we begin to recover in a meaningful way. And along with that, our good habits, our good techniques for getting restful sleep and for, like in the season for healing and reason for hope, there's a 12-level program that has called the breads formula b-r-e-a-d-s and it's and it has for each one as a psychological factor and it has a physiological factor something you can do for yourself mentally and something you can do for yourself physically to help you work on the recovery process and the last two for the s is to work on your sleep habits and the other part is to start cultivating inner serenity again starting to have uh places where you are at peace and recognize this is a natural occurrence, that it's very natural to, to grieve the loss of someone and that nobody else can tell you how to do it. You're going to do it on your, in your own way, at your own pace, on your own schedule, and that there's a progression to it. In lots of ways, time is the great healer, and that helps us move forward, but also that time allows us to start gaining some insight and some understanding into ourselves and from other people who have gone through the process before. When I first started working with grief, I had experienced the tragic loss of two pets, but I had not lost any humans who were significant to me. So I could sympathize to some extent, but then within a six-year period, I lost my mother-in-law, who I loved greatly, a business partner who I had known for a very long period of time, and then both my, both my father and then my mother. So I got whacked around just as I thought I was coming out of something. I was thrown right back into it again. So being a, a, a thinking, analyzing person who journals and keeps notes and things like that to myself, I, I worked my way through that and then went back and looked at it, and that helped give depth and, 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 and more insight into what I did from a grief aspect. You're so right. It, it does make a difference. Uh, when I was going through the pastoral program at, at one of our local hospitals here, I imagine then I was about 45. Now I had gone through a lot of programs in my 20-year ministerial career, but I remember us doing a circle where everyone talked about, you know, the losses that of people that had died in their lives, and they were just staying with people in this case rather than, you know, the other things we consider almost like people, like some people's pets, etc. And we went around the room, and so many people that were in their 50s and, you know, even uh, 60s, uh, many of them said, you know, I haven't really had that much of major losses. Maybe one person has died. And I, they came around to me, and I went, you know, well, we don't have that much time, you know, because when I was born, all my great-grandparents were living. All my grandparents were living. All of them I've seen and said goodbye to all these experiences and uncles and aunts and cousins that had drowned and this one and this one. And it was like, oh, my word, you know, plus in public work, you know, when you do public work, then you have even that many more people that are in your kind of circle of influence, you would say, or your, you know, the next group over, right? And so you, you feel that of people that you've known through the years. And one of the things that, that I've come to realize is that when you face grief um, and loss, uh, whether it's sudden and or you're prepared for it, if there is such a thing, that um, you, your body, like, it automatically uh, uh, anesthetizes itself, that you go through this phase almost of numbness, 
Have you observed that with people that you've dealt with? It's almost like you're numb. It's like you kind of double book appointments. You're kind of just, you know, you're like walking through life for a period of time. And I think it's helpful if people understand that and allow room for that rather than thinking, oh, no, you know, what's wrong with me? But that's a natural part of the grief process. You're, you're absolutely right. That Your observations are, are, are right on. And when I, in the, in the grief, mourning, uh, grief and mourning guide and journal, I do the three steps to dealing with grief. And step one is to try to get some immediate relief, if only temporary, from the physical and emotional stress that you're feeling. And they can get that from the CD, whether it's a guided meditation on there for one session and then the sleep technique, the, the guided rest and relaxation and breathing technique for the sleep technique. Then the second step is compassionate understanding and giving yourself permission to grieve and mourn. And part of that is giving yourself permission to realize that you're a unique person, that you are not going to follow anybody else's pattern or anyone else's exact way of how they handled the loss. And so, so many people come in and say, what are you talking about? It's, it's been six months. You should be over it now. Well, some people actually are. And it depends on the relationship you had, depending on how close you were to the person. It depends on, the, on, on what you felt and, and how you felt about that person. But there's no, there's no set time. There, there's, there are grief groups who send out quarterly pamphlets to people as if it's going to take one year. And there is some basis in our culture for people saying, oh, you should wait a year before you meet somebody new or you strike up a new relationship or you do something like that. And that's, that's because you have to go through it one whole 365 or this year, 366 days to be able to go through all of the holidays, all of the anniversaries, all of the special times, all of the things that were just special between you and that person, if there were ones. They... You have to have this time to metabolize, basically, exactly how and what the grief experience is. And for you to say, like you did, that you might feel numb or you find that you're not quite as, as accurate as you were or you're double, you're double dipping, double appointments, double scheduling, or you forget something even though you got the reminder right in front of you because you forgot to look at the reminder, that has to do with the level of stress that we have. And like you say, said earlier, how it all seems to age us. Hans Selye, the father of modern stress research, who actually coined the word stress, he used this definition for stress. It's the rate of wear and tear on our body. And that is an excellent way of looking at it. So when you have the most severe stress response possible, which is having to deal with the finality of death, you're assailed from all different directions. A lot of times people, they don't eat enough or they eat too much. They, don't, they want to sleep all day or they don't sleep enough. It's hard to try to get in and start putting a balance into your life, the balance that helps us all every day as we go through to try to keep track between our spiritual practices and our, our mundane practices, between our exercise and our rest periods, between our eating and our snacking and what's good and not good nutrition and things like that. So... Having this, this, if it's sudden, that often is the hardest way to deal with the grief because when it's, when it's been coming over a period of time, often there's a sense of relief, which might in, get people to feel guilty a little bit, but it's not a time to feel guilty. You've been right there with that person. You've been helping them through. You've been, you've been doing their final journey with them, and what's finally done it's a relief, both for the person, especially if they've had a, 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 a illness that has really devastated them or taken them away from us a bit at a time, at a time, at a time, that, that relief is for releasing that soul into the universe and a relief that, okay, we were vigilant, we were there, we did what we needed to do, but it's over. I don't have to be vigilant anymore. They're, they've gone on to their next level of expression. So that's- and it, it, It's so great, um, Tim, you know, and the work that you're offering. And, and it's very interesting. I, I just had an experience that week, this week with one of my very dear friends 
We have um, so much more in store for you in this hour of talking about from good to amazing because we're having a conversation about something that's so significant in all of our lives of how we work with grief and stress and manage it in our lives. We'll be right back after break. Thank you for joining us. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listener support to broadcast the messages of unity to an awakening world. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Working at Unity Village is more than just a good job. It's good work. We're a not-for-profit organization that helps people around the globe live more abundant and meaningful lives. Our work environment is unique in keeping with the heritage of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, visionary founders of the Unity Movement. At the same time, Unity is a 21st century workplace. Job seekers will find plenty of challenges in a wide range of specialties, from information technology to culinary arts communications to publishing, prayer ministry to retreats, and more. Employees are eligible for a variety of perks and benefits, including a campus setting with year-round activities and a four-day work week in many departments. To see what employment opportunities await you, visit us at unityjobs.org and apply today. Hello, Unity Online Radio. Yes, I was wanting to know if I can listen to Unity Online Radio on my smartphone. Actually, yes. iPhone and Android users can now listen live to Unity Online Radio with the Live 365 app. This is great news. How do I get the app? Getting the app is super easy. You'll need to download our broadcast partners app, Live 365. iPhone users can go to iTunes to download the Live 365 app, Android users can go to the Android market. Once the app is downloaded onto your mobile device, search for Unity Online Radio. And voila, your favorite hosts, live on your phone. Wow. Unity Online Radio, on the go? How cool is that? To learn more, go to www.unity.fm and click on Mobile Listening. Thank you for tuning in for From Good to Amazing with Reverend Temple Hayes. If you have a question or comment about today's discussion, you can email us at amazing at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome back, everyone. We're talking about a subject today on From Good to Amazing with Timothy O'Brien, who is a stress management expert. He's also the author of A Season for Healing, A Reason for Hope, The Grief and Mourning Guide and Journal. One of the things that we truly know about amazing people in our culture today is they, they thrive with energy. They face challenges like everyone else. They face um, the death of loved ones or their pets, but there's something within certain individuals that one of the things I would say is that it's the holding and knowing, just like in the old tribal days, that you would recover from a loss at some point and to have a belief system and an awareness that when you do get on the other side of it, whenever that is, you're not going to be less of a person, but you're going to be more. And I, that's something that I'm very passionately about. It doesn't mean going through it is easy breezy, <laughs> but it simply means if that decision is made that, and you have that connection, that on the other side of it, when that time has uh, shifted, that you'll be more of a person. And Jim, that was exactly the decision I needed to make when my father died unexpectedly at 65, was that I went, okay, how can I really make this experience matter? Ultimately, I would really like his life 
to matter because I'm living in a more dedicated and, and a passionate way. I did find during that phase, though, that it was very interesting the kind of things people say to you when when someone dies, either a loved one or a pet. Um, you know, they say statements like, well, you know, well, at least you had a father. I always thought that was interesting. Or, um, you know, um, well, he's probably in a better place. Or... Um, well, he's still with you. You know, lots of different things, that little cliches and little things. Um, how do you feel about our languaging around these experiences? I'm sure that you've thought about it a bit in the work that you do. The main word I could think about, and it happens to me, who I write quite a bit, I speak often, and I often think that I... I have this ability to communicate. Awkward is the word that comes to mind. Is mm-hmm. uh, People want to say the right thing. They would like to be able to say the right thing. They want to be careful. It's like the old walking on eggshells analogy, that they don't know what to say, and then they get frustrated because they haven't said anything, and they'll blurt something out, you know, go, oh, gosh, I didn't, for themselves mostly, I didn't. I didn't really mean it like that. It's, it's more that with, with somebody who cares about you, they come up and they give you a hug, that hug can convey much more to you than any words they can come up with. Because we do feel awkward, we don't, especially when we were talking before about if people have not lost someone, a human, haven't experienced the loss of a person close to them that they loved and cared about, it's... You can own, you can, you can sympathize a little bit because here's somebody that's in pain that you care about and you don't want them to be in pain, but since you've never had a, a, a close correlate to that emotion, you don't know exactly what it is they're going through. And you can see, you can, you can see pain on the faces and the actions and the postures and the movement of people who are grieving. So when someone comes up, if there's, there's two different kinds of people saying things. There's the one person who is just totally insensitive and they're not awkward. They're just sometimes either ignorantly mean or just plain mean and they'll say something, especially in the pet arena, like, it's only a dog, get over it, or something like that. Or with a, they'll they'll make remarks like you said, well, at least you had a father. Uh, my parents were divorced and I never knew who my father was. Or they'll, they'll they'll come up with something that kind of justifies what I think sometimes almost signified some type of latent jealousy that they hadn't spoken about before, and this, this makes it come out. And that happens, and that makes people feel, the griever, feel bad sometimes because it's what they call disenfranchised grief. It's a lack of social support from people who you thought you would get support from. And then on the other side of it, you have people who are well-meaning people, and they do have their cliches, or they have their platitudes, or they, they fall back on something they've heard other people say in, in, in the past because they've never been in a situation of dealing with somebody. It, it happens with younger people, too, because a lot of them have not had anybody, and then they'll, they'll hear that some, one of their friend's parents died or whatever, and they weren't close to that person, but they know that their friend is torn up, and, and they don't know really how to, how to make it feel better. So there's, there's no magic formula that I know of or ever seen other than to try to be sincere when you talk with people. If the person is, is a, a, a hugging type and you're a hugging type and you just want to give them a hug and pat them a couple of times, Silence sometimes is a, a, a very powerful communicator because you might just sit there and be within each other's space and be sharing an emotion and energy pattern that, you, that, that words would only step on. So just try to go by what you feel at the time. If you do say something that you feel is inappropriate or, or, or didn't come out the way you did, just pat him and just say, I'm sorry, that's not how I meant. I know that you... I know that you feel bad or in pain right now, and I don't know how to make it better for you. Yeah, I love that one. I love I love what you just said, and um, one of the things that I've been mindful of for the for the you know through the years is uh, not to say, "Oh yeah, I've been through that too," or "Yeah, I know what you mean." You know, my dog. You know, I went through the same thing uh, because we know that, as you said earlier. 
these kind of things are so individual. And so even though I might have gone through like the subject matter that it's the same, <laughs> the way I went through it is entirely different from the way another person might have gone through it. The other thing as, as a minister that I, I was glad that I arrived at this place because, you know, we feel very passionate about what we do. I know you feel very passionate about what you do, uh, and we, we hope we will. I mean, if we're not, we need to go, you know, do something else. But I would, I, because of speaking and teaching, I would want to, like, say something. And I've gotten to a place where, with people, I have no problem saying, you know, I I absolutely, I you know, I just don't have anything to, to tell you. I, I don't know what to tell you. But what I'd like to do, if you're okay with it, is to just give you a hug. Or I don't know uh, what to say about it. I can't imagine what you're feeling. But what I'd like to do is just say that I'm here. And if you think of something that I can do or how I can be for you during this time, then let me know. And... um I found that to be very helpful because I'm not like then just kind of twisting around, you know, dancing around a subject or, or wondering if I, I said it correctly. But the ideas that you're giving are, are very, um, very good, uh, Tim, and I, I really appreciate your your energy with that. And like you said, it's just offering that compassion to people. I got one other thought to put in there, it, it, and along the lines of what you were just saying, that if you have had, it's like if the person, if someone has lost their mother and you've lost your mother or father, you can then just say, I know when I lost my, fill in the blank, my mother or my father, it really, really just really confused me or it really upset me or it really set me back for a while. Or it, So to, to not, by saying, well, I've gone through that, yeah, I've done that too. But if you can come with a direct not not equal, but same situation, almost like parent for parent or friend for friend or sibling for sibling or hopefully not child for child, something like that. that and you can relate a little bit of what you felt without trying to, in any manner, shape, or form, sound like you're trying to one-up or say, oh, yeah, I did that and I've got over it. But just by relating some of the experiences that you had, it might help give them some basis to sort out because a lot of the grieving process, because... Grief is the emotions that we feel. Bereavement is how we express those emotions. And I mean, excuse me. Grief are the emotions we feel. The mourning is how we express that. And bereavement is the process and interplay between the grief and the mourning, between the feelings and the expression. And so if you can add a couple of things in, just in a, not in a factual way, but in a, in a feeling sort of way, then there's all this sorting out, and by giving people, when I had this this situation, these are some of the things I I have felt that um, I, I I hope that you know as you go through, or or you can say if you ever want to like talk with a little bit about it, if you're close enough, the person will do it. Or I found that going to the hospice grief support or getting a, a, a printed grief support program to help me, or I found that they know that they're a religious person, that speaking with my clergy person, or I found that, that, that speaking with Reverend Hayes really helped me because she just helped me sort it out and she listened. Because a lot of times, more than anything else, silence around the people is all right, and then being a great listener if they want to talk, because there's going to be a point in time when the verbal-type people will begin to start wanting to sort out their life in a verbal way, and they do that by explaining to others or talking with others. And listening is is so key. And I, I don't know anybody on the planet today that can't benefit from just um, restating some good quality listening skills and checking in yeah. to see if there's a way that that you can improve, especially now with technology and Skype and cell phones and we hear you and we kind of don't hear you. And so, you know, it's a, it, it's a practice, you know. But one of the things that I wanted to highlight, um, Jim, um, Tim, I'm sorry, for your organization is that on uh, Tim's website, the Grief Guide and Journal. So griefguideandjournal.com, there's a section of the frequently asked questions that you yeah. could uh, look at. And so I think that's a great tool uh, for you to share with your friends and 
family that have either lost a loved one or a pet or are losing someone now. Uh, of some of these questions, you'll find very helpful. And of course, most importantly, there's the Grief and Mourning Guide and Journal, which is a, a wonderful book. I'm just so thrilled you know, that you're offering this, uh, not only for people, but also in people coping with the loss of pets. Because for some people, a pet is like their child, uh, or at least that's how they hold it. And that's all that matters, is the story that someone tells themselves. So if that's how someone holds a pet as like a child, that's what it is and true for, for them. So I'm grateful for you for that, you know, and the work that that you're doing for sure. There's actually you just you just hit on something. If somebody was was going through the loss of a person right now, there's actually three griefs that we get exposed to, and mostly we only usually have to experience two for the loss of a human, and the three different types of, but three of them oftentimes for someone who's losing a pet or lost a pet. There's anticipatory grief, which is the apprehension up front, because if we know that a human has a terminal illness like cancer and you start to anticipate the loss, then you start grieving the loss that you're soon going to have. And then there's disenfranchised grief, which is usually only impacts us when we lose a pet. But this is when someone else doesn't understand the depth and nature of the true bond between the human-to-human or the human-to-pet bond. And they're ignorant, and they say ignorant things like, oh, it's only a dog, or like you just said, oh, I lost my my dad, and I was over in three weeks. But this makes you feel alienated and rejected to some extent. And that's actually the third level or layer of grief that sometimes makes the loss of a pet feel worse to pet owners or pet companions than the loss of a human. Then the other one, the third type of grief, is the grief of actual loss. This is the grief of having to deal with the finality of death. The person or the pet is gone, and they won't be with you anymore in this realm except in spirit and memories. And so there's, the, the, stress doesn't, the stress of grief does not start with the actual loss all the time. If it's sudden, if it's something like a heart attack, and it's sudden, boom, there's no anticipatory grief. It's just there. There's no disenfranchised grief at that moment. Maybe my, somebody might say something like, oh, he should have taken better care of himself, and he wouldn't have had a heart attack. You know, say something like, say something like that. But in, in, in general, with diseases, then, or if there's the question with a pet owner who has to think about, is it time to say goodbye to their pet? Is it time to um, have the, the pet put to sleep? then there's a great deal of anticipatory grief in that. And with a cancer person, there's anticipatory grief. And so there's more than one type of grief going on. So there's more than one way in which we get buffeted around and battered around by the emotions that we have. One of the things that I have found through the years, and I have no clue how many funerals and memorials that I have been a part of and and been privileged to be a part of. Do you think it will ever change as far as where funerals are involved and there's not a cremation, that everything has to happen so fast? That's the only thing I wonder, like if we could do better. It feels like when a family is in shock or whether it's the, like you said, the anticipated grief or a shocking thing that they had no idea it was coming from a sudden death, it feels like from that point on it's in fast overload that, you know, people are just, I mean, they're not even, they're grieving so much, they're not even fully uh, cognizant, present, or whatever, and yet they have to go right into. We got to get this done. You know, we got to go here. We got to run there. We got to go get that. We've got to get this handled because uh, tomorrow night we're going to be visiting people, and they're coming in to visit us. And then the next day we're going to go to the funeral home, and it's we're doing this. I mean, is that um, what's your? How do you hold that? Do you feel like well, that's that's a, a good process, or could we do it a little better and, and maybe delay it for a little bit? Um, there's not much sitting shiva that's in that period of time. It happens so fast. You, you just hit on a, on a major, major area that I believe society is, is to blame in a giant way. The American society has no formal 
grief and mourning ritual. It's if they die today, I expect you back tomorrow. One of the major writings that I'm doing right now is developing a model for a corporate compassion policy and telling people about not only is it humane, not only is it a good thing for humanity, is it nice, caring, and kind, it's also very good business to show these people that you care about them. And then Stacy, who works with me in this office, lost the first person close to her, and she went over to a place where she came from about 50 miles from Tallahassee to go to the funeral, and one of her young friends went with her, and when she came back to work, her employer said, where have you been? And well, I went to a funeral. said, how do I know that? I'm going to dock you if you don't come up with the, the, the program from the funeral. And so Stacy drove back over, got the program for the young woman to give to show the the uh, employer, so he wouldn't dock her for pay. I think that yes, there there are changing right now in funerals. I read something in one of the major national funeral magazines just this past month, and it said, "Stop planning funerals and start planning events." They're starting to change around as more and more people from the the uh, boomer generation that's from sixty. Uh, six right now, 66 down to about 48 right now, they're starting to want to have much more involvement. It's about life. It's about me. So the pre-planning part of it is starting to work. 50% of people now choose cremation over uh, being embalmed and put into a casket. There, There is no real, there are some religions where the people are supposed to be buried within 24 hours of death. I believe that's a carryover from olden times when they had to worry about diseases and things like that. It, it doesn't really have much to do now with the idea that they can embalm you to where you would, you would still be good and not a threat to society uh, for a much longer period of time. But with cremation, there's no reason why something has to be, a person has to die on Thursday. Ophelia in my office just lost her mother about two months ago. She died on a Thursday, and on Saturday they had the funeral. And that's that's... What that's how society does it right now, but I do not believe it has to do that. I went to Ghana, Africa one time to be at the funeral for a friend of mine that I had met in 74 for his father, and the real funeral was actually the one-year anniversary of his death, and they blocked off two blocks of Accra and had a huge celebration. And sitting there observing that with all of those hundreds of people coming in the three live bands, I knew wow. in a moment where the... Uh, Louisiana-type funerals came from. They brought that over from Africa with, with, with how they do it. It was a celebration of life. And it was, okay, do you have any more? With them, they were trying to have, this is one of those places where they tried to have the grief over in a year. Because the right. next day, the, the mother was no longer allowed to wear black, and she had to then become available. That's a societal-type thing. But no, to answer your question directly, right. I think a lot is being changed now. It can be changed. And if you want to take a little longer period of time, to, with my mother, we, we did that. We, we held off the funeral for my mother for three weeks to where everybody could come in from everywhere and, and yeah. be together. And we could be together and, and have a celebration of her life instead of just saying, okay, three days later. We've got to do better, don't we? Well, we're going to be right back with you, Tim. And thank you so much. I love this conversation. Thanks. Hi, my name is Lynn Twist. I'm the author of The Soul of Money. If you're struggling right now with a financial crisis, I recommend going to www.unityfm and listening to our course about the soul of money and how to handle this in a way that brings out the deep spirituality that's available at this time. You know, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Join author Lynn Twist for The Blessing of the Financial Crisis. You'll learn new techniques to use the current economic situation to redefine your relationship with money. It's available now for immediate download at unity.fm in the video download section. You've seen reality TV. Well... 
Now get ready for Reality Radio. It's raw, unpredictable, and completely unscripted. You Can Heal Your Life follows the lives of four people each season as they face their fears and overcome their challenges. Tune in weekly and follow along as they take each faithful step on their journey. Learn what it takes to really heal your life. Dr. Chris Michaels shows you how to expect specific and measurable results from prayer. He says, We must place a demand upon consciousness. We don't hope to get what we pray for. We expect it. As a 25-year veteran in the New Thought Movement, Dr. Chris has helped thousands of people find their way to success and healing. His faith is unshakable, and his commitment to helping others heal through the power of prayer is extraordinary. Don't miss Reality Radio, You Can Heal Your Life, with Dr. Chris Michaels. Live, Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio. We now return to From Good to Amazing with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Thank you, everyone, for being part of our show today as we are talking about grief, uh, good grief, and grief that is uncomfortable and ways to cope and ways to handle it. I wanted to refer you to the website again. It's griefguideandjournal.com. You'll find and read all about Timothy O'Brien, who is our guest today, various questions and answers about grief, and the resources which you can use. I would advise everyone to have a copy of this book, which includes a CD. It's wonderful material and much needed in our society today. Um, Tim, you were saying... um, When we were thinking about this show, we were talking about the seven stages of grief that was uh, brought by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And um, I'm seeing more and more now there's some controversial, not in a negative way necessarily, but people saying, are there really that, are they stages of grief? And some people think that means that they're in order or you do one before you do two. Um, With our time left on our show today, could you elaborate on that a bit and uh, tell us your insights since this is an area that you, you in your life, uh, devoting it to this and stress. I, I, um, I would love to because this is somewhere between the 1991 when I first came out with the grief management program for the funeral directors, in which I wrote about Kubler Ross's original five stages of grief in her 1969 classic book on death and dying, and uh, researchers started trying to verify that. They, tried, they thought they were going to find it, actually. They thought, oh, we're just going to go out here, we're going to verify it, and we're going to give some, some research credence to what Kubler-Ross talked about. And remember, that first book came out in 1969, and that book really set the stage for modern grief support and for the aftercare programs and that. So everybody owes a big debt of gratitude to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross for what she did. However, as time went on, they realized that things were not quite as set as people might think or people might hope that they were and that the stages didn't happen, the researchers found out. There was no set way for people to experience things, that we all grieve in our own way. We grieve at our own pace and we grieve in our own order. So it really came down to the point where it was much more that it was uh, grief emotions, the emotions of grief more so than it was, is a better description than the five stages of grief. Because the five stages model said you would go through denial, then anger, then bargaining, then depression, then acceptance. And as you said, some people have moved it to seven stages. The Big Bend Hospice here in Tallahassee, Florida, moved it to 12 stages. But what they found out that it really, it, she didn't, she wrote these for the terminally ill. She never meant for them to be considered linear as they were adapted. And so Kubler-Ross herself intended for these stages to not be a rigid framework that applies to everyone. And in her last book in 19, that she came out in 2004, she said about the stages of grief, they were never meant to help tuck messy emotions into neat packages. They are responses to loss that many people have but there is not a typical response to loss as there is no typical loss. That's what I picked up on and what I moved on from 
And I'd say that it's more the emotions of grief that people have that's a better description. And there's usually many, many more than just five emotions that a person will go through when they're suffering a loss experience. And recent research, as I said, just hasn't been able to support the concept of the stages of grief. But the research suggests is that what occurs is more like the motion of waves and tides with an ebbing and flowing of experiences. And before I even knew of this, this research, I actually wrote that in the, the, the season for healing or reason for hope, that it was like that was my own experiences where this was this ebbing and flowing like the tides. And so the stages of grief will probably still be around for quite a while. And, and I think the only controversy is because there's going to be a reluctance to let go of what is familiar, and it's going to be hard for people to let go who have a vested interest in it or who, who try to sustain the concept. And what I have found, and I believe this is pretty universal, that there's something that's going to tr trigger a grief episode or an event. And it can literally be anything, anywhere, anytime, in any of our senses. The smell of a pie that you both used to love, the, an anniversary date, go hearing a song that was your song, something like that. Then these triggers will ha have grief episodes come on. And these grief episodes will have frequency, intensity, and duration. And you never know, and you can't tell how often, how long, or how long any of these episodes are going to happen. They just happen. And you don't know when one happens, how long it's going to be, or how intense it's going to be. And each episode is different. And in the beginning, the frequency, intensity, and duration is probably going to be higher for all of them. And then as time goes on, as you start to, to come to grips with your loss and start to see how you can start feeling some recovery coming on, then all of those will diminish over time. Something I want to tell your listeners very emphatically, to seek professional help. If your grief ever feels overwhelming, causes true depression, lasts a year or more without becoming less intense. And remember, it's a sign of intelligence, not weakness, to recognize when we need help and then to go get it. You can ask your clergy, you can ask your hospice, you can ask a funeral director or someone else to help you refer, to help refer you to the, uh, someone, a counselor, or psychologist, psychiatrist who can help you. It really makes a difference when you have somebody that can be there for you. And um, I heard one time that the amount of people that you share uh, the situation with, it kind of uh, divides that many times in helping you process. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a, a cool way of looking at it, you know. The, um, it's, what I would add to that is as long as if talking about it helps you to gain insights into yourself or from other people who help you progressively and perhaps ever so slowly but move towards a recovery and it's not just a continuous ruminating or a rehashing of the same thing to where you almost get into a pity party with yourself to where you like that emotion and you want to stay in there and you want to feel sorry for yourself or you want somebody to feel sorry for you, that that's all in there to begin with. But as, as time goes on, that should start to be a motion for, away from that towards the recovery that we, that we have. One thing I'd like to add also is you should be real careful about what you see on the Internet. The Internet's a valuable tool but it also harbors a great deal of both misinformation and unsubstantiated claims. It's better to seek your advice, I think, from those who are close to you and whom you trust and from those who deal with grief on a regular basis in your area, face-to-face -face if you can, person-to-person. -person. That's so true. It, it makes such a difference, and then that way you know that it is valid and that the resources are, are there. Um, and reminding everyone also about this great book, A Season for Healing, A Reason for Hope, The Grief and Mourning Guide Journal. Just a wonderful thing to have as, as part of your library. It would make a great gift, you know, to give to various people. Um, I know that, um, Tim, we want to have you come and speak at First Unity because Grief is a part of life. I'll be glad to do it. I was born in St. Petersburg, met my wife and married her there. I still have a brother who's a priest down there and a sister who helps the bishop. <laughs> well, let's pull that together then because it's, it's so um, 
true that all of us are going to face date, death, if we haven't already, with people that we love or pets. Uh, inevitably, we will we will face our own. And the more information that we have and embody these ideas and come from a place of that compassionate observer or a compassionate experience the better off that we will be, that this is part of the life experience. It's not something that if we pretend it's an inevitable one, unless you go first. That's right. It's inevitable. What is it that the little statement at the chiropractor's office that says, um, we love the patients who kept saying that it would go away by itself. You know, it's like, (laughs) 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 because we know that they always wind up there. But, you know, grief is just something that it's important, especially those of us that want to be effective role models for our children and other individuals in humanity, for us to learn how to be better at being human beings and accepting that this is a part of our, our life. Tim, it has been a wonderful experience. We're having Timothy O'Brien on the air today, and it has been a pleasure to have you. And everyone, you can Google Timothy O'Brien and the Grief Guide and Journal, and you can read about him. So thank you again for being on the show with us, and we'll be in touch. I'd love to have you on the show again because we have just scratched the surface with all this information. I, I agree. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you, everyone. I'm Temple Hayes, and I appreciate you being on the show today. And please share this segment with your family and friends because there's so many people that can benefit from it. If you have any questions about today's show, you can email amazing at unity.fm. And those of you that don't want to miss a show, remember that you can go on unity.fm on the web and you can um, download on your phone uh, what you need in order to have these shows on your phone at any time. We really appreciate your supporting Unity Online Radio, the voice for an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in to From Good to Amazing with Reverend Temple Hayes. Join us every Monday at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern for more tools to move your life from good to amazing. This program is brought to you in part by Temple Hayes Ministries Online at www.templehayes.org and First Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. Online at www.unitycampus.org. Wondering what's happening at Unity Village? Join Dean Ted Collins and guests each Monday at 2 p.m. Central Time as he hosts Village Events and Voices from Unity Village. Stay connected with Unity Village and get news on retreats, special events, newly published authors, and various ways you or your center can be part of the many exciting opportunities Unity Village has to offer. Tune in to catch live interviews of Unity speakers, authors, and newsmakers. It's Village Events and Voices with host Ted Collins, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Things may happen around you. Things may happen to you. But the only things that really count are the things that happen in you. This meditative moment from Reverend Eric Butterworth is brought to you by Unity. Oprah Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. What do these books have in common? They are Unity classics. Join Rev. Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. 
Each month, you'll be able to follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine a different classic Unity book. From Charles and Myrtle Fillmore to Eric Butterworth, Emily Cady, and beyond, experience the foundational teachings of Unity. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. Thursdays on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.